This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Rodney T. Whitaker is an internationally renowned jazz bassist and the director of jazz studies at Michigan State University. He has a long history of playing with legends in the jazz world from Wynton Marcellus, Roy Hargrove, Dizzy Gillespie, and more. Recently, he spoke to WDET's Alex Trujano about the influence of growing up in Detroit and what mentorship means to upcoming musicians. I'm sorry, but I was never a big fan of bands that didn't have a bass player in it. Sorry. Same goes for drums. Because I'm a drummer, a rhythm section guy, and I need a rhythm section. You know, the band within a band behind the singer, usually smiling at each other during a tune because we set the tempo and the groove. The feel, as we call it. We play the chords, provide the harmony and dynamics, all of the cool stuff that makes it rock, makes it roll, makes it swing, or makes it dance. We drive the bus people, not the singer. I'm just going to say it. You know, Detroit has a long and rich history of the most killer rhythm section players the world has ever known. Ever hear of the Funk Brothers? They changed the world. And in the world of jazz, the list of legendary bass players and drummers is too long to mention here. But I'll remind you of a few. Drummer Elvin Jones. He drove the great John Coltrane bands of the 1960s. And then there's Ron Carter. Born in Ferndale, by the way. He's arguably the most recorded bass player in history, with over 2,500 record dates under his belt. And he's still cooking. Young rhythm section players look at these classic recordings as historical documents, and they study them like textbooks. They transcribe them and absorb them, and very often have workshops or jam sessions with other musicians to play the things they heard on these records. One other important way young players learn is to go to the clubs and sit and listen. Because there's nothing like being in the audience to witness spontaneous creation. You learn from that too. And the final step, maybe the most rewarding step, is to try and hang out with a player that you admire. You know, it starts first with taking a few lessons, then hanging out with them and talking shop. And if you're lucky, you'll develop a rapport with them, and that person becomes somewhat of a mentor a person that will spend extra time with you and take special interest in your development. Now, not all great musicians can teach and not all teachers are great players, but there's a musician from Detroit who is not only a world-class bass player, composer, and recording artist, he's also a prominent educator who's become a mentor in the true sense of the jazz legacy. His name is Rodney Whitaker. You know, I grew up on the east side of Detroit, um, Algonquin Street. I heard stacks and, of course, Motown music, blues. That neighborhood was a neighborhood full of Southerners, and people really, really appreciated and loved music. I heard, like, Lil Richard and early rock and roll stuff growing up, a lot of groove music. And my mother liked the Grand Ole Opera and country music. So I always heard, like, all this really good, like, kind of music going on in different styles and genres. But when I heard jazz, man, my void had been filled. Fast forward to uh, middle school, I was carrying an upright bass day one. And my neighbor, Charles Brown, saw me carrying that bass and stopped me. Said, man, Gate laid these two records, Paul Chambers on uh, John Coltrane's Soul Train 
and Ron Carter on Seven Steps to Heaven. And, uh, and I listened all night long, man, and I decided at that point that I wanted to be a jazz musician. And it made me serious about life. So as they say, the rest is history. It was now the late 80s, and Rodney was sort of swept into that generation of musicians called the Young Lions, whose leader was Wenton Marsalis. Rodney was touring like crazy. He was all over the place. I think that at one point when I was maybe about 23 and I'd been on the road with Roy Hargrove a little bit and we started doing workshops and things. So I kind of fell in love with that uh, aspect of, of being a musician. And then I, sa- I remember saying to my wife when I was about 24, I said, you know, you know, I think I want to be a professor one day. And then about a year later, I got a call from the University of Michigan and they were kind of auditioning me to be an adjunct professor. And I didn't get the gig. They liked my teaching, but I didn't get the gig. And then a year later, Michigan State gave me an adjunct job. And then for a while, I was on faculty at both U of M and Michigan State. And then in 2000, the dean at uh, the College of Music at MSU asked me if I wanted to be the director of jazz studies. And I said yes, because I really didn't know what it was. And it was so much work, I tried to quit. And then ultimately... I saw that this was an important mission, and it's really one of the things that I always wanted to be. Well, so when I think about you in that position at MSU, I think of the tremendous experience you've gained at this point. Now, you've worked with legends and soon-to-be legends. How does that affect the way students relate to you? Well, I, I think I think the experience is everything, but I think that um, the challenge is how do you, you know, like when you when you hang out with a mentor, it's so different from being in a classroom setting. And the challenge is to bottle that experience and put it in a 15-week curriculum. And that's been the challenge. Yeah. is because, you know, when I first started working there, I would get negative um, forms from the students because I would make them late to their next class. Or I would uh, a lesson that's supposed to be an hour would be two hours. But I used to take lessons from Herbie Williams, and they would be six hours. And so that was the biggest challenge was to kind of condense all this inf- information into a curriculum, into a syllabus, and uh, to mind the rules. So I had to grow up, and I had to to get some discipline. And that, as a musician, we don't necessarily always have that. We have the discipline, the practice, and the study, but I think we just have more time. Well, those are my favorite lessons, the ones where I'd be with a mentor or a teacher, right. and the one-hour lesson would be two or three hours. Right, I, I just, I, It made me feel like that person cared about me a little bit more because I got more time with them. I agree with you 100%. Now that what I experience is people not wanting me to stop because I figured out how to make that lesson an hour or that class of 50 minutes. Like, my students stay over 10 minutes. I'm like, look, you guys got to go. You got to go to your next class. I don't want to make you late. But they stay over and they ask questions and they want to hang out. And what I what I also developed on Monday, I have Monday and Fridays, I have two hours where I'm just in the office and people stop by and sometimes it morphs into a jam session. Somebody comes by with a snare drum and a hi-hat and we just play and there's piano there and horn players stop by in the office. I get complaints from some of the other faculty that are not jazz faculty on my door. But the reality in jazz, the hang is so much part of their tradition and you glean so much from just, like you said, spending time with the mentor. So how do you describe the word swing to to a student? I mean, there's so much mystery and so much romance around that word when it comes to jazz or other music. How do you describe swing? Well, swing just means dance. And then when you hear people play and it makes you want to move, it makes you want to sway, it makes you want to dance, 
then they're swinging. But swinging is just not Changalang. Swinging is something we use to describe dance. You could swing playing funk. In fact, you have to swing playing yeah. funk. It's all swing. Either, either you I always tell musicians you're either swinging in the triplet or you're swinging in the 16th note. Either I'm swinging, do the logic. Either the swing is there or it's. It's still swinging. So it has to have that, that momentum, that forward momentum that make you want to dance. Okay, let's hear it and feel it. Here's Rodney Whitaker's quartet featuring Rick Rowe on piano, Diego Rivera on sax, and Sean Dobbins on drums. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, we're going to do The World Falls Away. Live in WDET Studio A.
That was renowned jazz bassist Rodney T. Whitaker. He spoke with WDET's Alex Trajano. I'm Stephen Henderson, and you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET.